Welcome to this week's Atlantic Tales on Clare FM when we'll hear from self-taught sculptor Tommy Brennan who is based in Tubber while Aidan Cuddihy will tell us about his hurley-making business in Ina. Tommy Brennan is a self-taught sculptor living in Tubber on the edge of the Burren in County Clare. He creates mostly small-scale figurative pieces in stone, usually limestone and marble. He uses off-cuts or fragments of broken or discarded stone, which he acquires from monumental sculptors, salvage yards or building sites. He admits to a lifelong fascination with stone, its formation and antiquity, and for many years he has worked as a stonemason, practising the traditional craft of stone building. Life for Tommy began in County Louth. So I went to school in Drogheda, St. Joseph's CBS. I did art up until Intercert, as it was called at the time, but it, in the school I went to, it wasn't considered a serious subject at all, and it wasn't taught to leaving. So I didn't follow the conventional route, I suppose. I came leaving school and going to art college, but I had always had an interest in it. I remember when we were young, we had a set of encyclopedias in the house and there was one that I read constantly and it was um, to do with the world of art and craft, etc. And I remember being just blown away, I suppose, by because the, the book had plenty of photographs and uh, been blown away by the, by the sculptors. I just remember looking at these, uh, particularly the figurative sculptors like Michelangelo, Rodin, and uh, just being absolutely amazed. At some point or some in, inside I said, I, I want to do that. But that opportunity never came until much later in life, I suppose. I suppose from my late teens through, I dabbled in art to a large extent. I, I, I painted for a long time and sold some work along the way. But I don't think I was ever really satisfied with painting. Sculpture was always the thing that uh, interested me. I didn't know that, but um, I wasn't really sure how to go about it. So I left school and, and went to college. I studied computer programming, which was uh, back in the day was the probably very, very good advice. But uh, of course found that I didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I finished up that and I worked for years at a series of different jobs. I worked in pubs, factories, back to pubs, everything. When I was younger, my, my father, I grew up on a small farm. My father was a farmer. He also did some building with his brothers and would occasionally do stonework. I found myself drawn to that stonemasonry. And I worked with different, with different guys at that for a long time. I found I had a sort of a knack for it. I didn't really have to uh, learn too much. Event finally sort of went out on my own. And then during the building boom, it was very busy. And um, I was very busy. I suppose there is, a, I suppose, an artistic angle to stone building. I mean, people want it to look nice and, it, and attractive and so on and so forth. So that, I suppose, came, gave me, kept me reasonably happy. At the same time, I was always continue, you know, continuously painting, drawing. I would go to life drawing classes, different things. I took part in a couple of exhibitions, sold a few, few things, as I say, along the way. As part of the, the work as a stonemason, I mean, even rudimentary shaping of stone is, is part of the job. So you are shaping and working stone, you know, to a, a, a small degree. And of course, depending on um, the accuracy of the work, you would you, you would possibly use you know stone carving tools, chisels, whatever. You were shaping stones. So was, was that for so walls or for buildings? Yeah, yeah, for walls, for buildings. 
you know, so you would do the, the usual stone facing of houses, I suppose, walls, entrances. I also got into um, conservation and restoration work too, which I really liked, you know, using old materials, lime mortar and so on. So I was in the stone world as such for uh, um, a long time. There was something, um, I don't know what it is when I feel a stone in my hand. It just feels good. So, uh, and I can picture stonemasons, and we see them on the side of the road, and they're building a new wall for mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. somebody. Yeah. But they're doing the work on the roadside. They're not doing it in a workshop. Are you no. chiselling out and shaping those stones to fit that wall on the roadside? Oh yeah, it's just uh, on the job. Now it it it, it sounds like it's very uh, complicated, but it's not. It's actually done very fast. You know, so you just I mean, depend stone can arrive as a shapeless load, and you just try to, uh, as you all say, kind of keep the good side out. So uh, so there is it does even, you know. Um, no matter what stone, there's, there's a certain amount of shaping and, 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 and work to be done to it. Because I was in that um, world and I was, you know, shaping stones, I just said, I, I really want to try this sculpting. You know, it's just something I've always been interested in and I'm just going to try it. I had no idea how to go about it, so I just <laughs> I started reading about what tools I might need and so on. I went into a hardware shop and just bought a, a few chisels and things, and I did a very crude-looking head, as <laughs> best I could describe it, which is still about somewhere, but uh, I don't know where. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, it's not great, but you look at it, it's a shape. And I started doing then some small pieces that just in, in relief carving and then I decided I did another head which turned out much better and I just decided to keep going with it and for some reason I, I was never really interested in in abstract or anything like that it was it was always figurative. Did you give up the stone masonry altogether? No I didn't give up the stone masonry no it's um I actually still do a, a couple of days a week at the stone building I suppose it's something I still like to do and um, it would probably get to the point where I probably won't be physically able to do it anyway and may have to give it up but for now I still I combine the two you know so uh, but um, most of the time and my main interest is in uh, is in sculpting you know and creating pieces. So when did you actually so pick up that first piece of stone in your own workshop to make your first piece? Gosh it was a few good few years ago yeah. The most memorable piece I suppose is the first one I sold which was uh, a, a, a small piece called uh, I called it the of the Silky. It was um, for an exhibition in Canvara. Again, it was uh, based on this little model here. Yes. As you can see, but uh, it ended up a bigger piece. And uh, that gave me a lot of confidence. And I just said, um, okay, this is what I want to do. I People are willing to buy it therefore, uh, you know, I yeah. think uh, it's, um, it, it's, it's something I just want to, I want to focus on and continue and put as much energy in and as much time. And uh, it, I suppose ultimately what I would like to do is to just to be able to, to live off what I make. How did that first exhibition come about? Were you sculpting for yourself long at that stage? I was sculpting for a few years. I was just, uh, you know, gathering pieces, I suppose. I suppose when I moved over here first, I, I, I wanted to get involved in the art world some way. So I was, I, I was told about a CAVA exhibition in Canvara and it was a, it was a sort of a maritime or a sea kind of team and I wasn't sure how would I um, fit a figurative piece into that so I came up with the idea of, of, of calling it a silky so uh, it was fine I went into the exhibition and it sold. That was a nice confidence boost. Your first sale as a sculptor, you had sold some art when you were younger, as you said earlier. Yeah, I had a couple of smaller pieces, but that's the first one over here, yeah. 
And did you say to yourself then, Tommy, oh, look at I'm after creating a piece. Someone loved it enough to mm -hmm. buy it. Mm -hmm. I should do more. That's it, yeah. It's figurative pieces. It's a slow process. I mean, at, at the very early stage, you are, you know, you can use a grinder to s slice away chunks of stone, you know, chisels to knock off big chunks of stone until you get, to, you know, to a pretty sort of rudimentary form. Just on the whole thing of moving to Clare, you obviously okay. are on the very fringes of the burn. Yes. Yeah, not very yeah. far, in fact, from no, the no, heart of the burn. It's, it's beautiful it's, it's, it's up a few, here. It's a few minutes down the road. It's just, it's, it is incredible. It's, I know you look out, you see fields, but you walk five minutes down the road and you're into the limestone pavement, you know. But the fact Which that we have the largest yeah. limestone pavement yeah, no. in Western Europe, was that a draw for you or were you aware of it? Oh, I, 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 I was aware of Boron, yeah, because, um, you know, everybody, I think everybody knows yes. it, you know. <laughs> but because um, I met, met Eileen, she told me where she was living. No, I didn't, uh, she just mentioned, you know, Loch Bunny down the road and, and uh, you know, Mullock Moor and the Boron and all that. And I was, and yeah, I know, I know it's a lovely place. I was there, I, you know, because I have been there before. It's only when I got here I realised how close she was. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I suppose that's. Um, but then, of course, that 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 was just it was just perfect because it's just a, you know such a fabulous place. You know, it's actually strange because even on this road alone, you meet different people and you realise well, actually they've all moved in here. You know, so uh, so it's just it's actually just an indication of um, I think of the community and how how welcoming they are too, which is nice because you you're made to feel welcome. You know, so well, the burn and Clare yeah, generally yeah, has yeah, yeah. been a great attraction for mm. creatives and for yeah, artists. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about stone then. Oh, these couple of pieces, these are all limestone. There's a few bits of marble, as you can see there, and some sandstone. I have a piece in the, the Gort Arts Windows exhibition at the moment. It's really, it's just carved out of uh, just literally a piece of burn limestone. It's, um, it was a stone I dug up in the garden when I was just transplanting a few pear trees. I like the shape of the stone and I just said that's, um, that looks like it might just fit the figure I have in mind. So I, um, I went ahead with it and uh, it's a very interesting stone. In the final sanding and polishing it, re it just reveals all the fossils. There are cracks and tears and all sorts of little blemishes I suppose in, in the fabric of the stone which shows up in the final piece. Yeah. So it was an interesting stone to work with. You mentioned marble and limestone, Tommy. Yeah, Do you work yeah. with different stone and stone other than those two? Occasionally a piece of sandstone, but, um, but they're, they're probably the three main groupings of stones, you know. You know, limestone, marble, sandstone, granite too, but I, I rarely ever, I, in fact I would say never, have, have worked with granite. Really I think because of the appearance of the stone alone, because it's very mottled and blotchy. So it's, it's, it doesn't really attract me too much. But um, marble is pure, you know, and limestone is a lovely stone. It, you know, it's, 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 I find it nice to, nice to work. It's neither too hard nor too soft. You know, it's a, something in between. There's a bit of resistance in it. And uh, I suppose what I, with any stone, it has, you know, they're going to have advantages and disadvantages. Sometimes you, you, um, there can be flaws and cracks and things in the stone and some and sometimes you have to just live with that because uh, particularly on on small scale pieces you um you can chisel away and try and and remove it where, where you might on a bigger piece so sometimes it, it it ends up as part of the of the piece i suppose the two stone I, stones i prefer to work with would be limestone and marble but i mean limestone is a fascinating stone i mean all the limestone in, in the country is, um, was mostly formed 300 million years ago, you know, in the Carboniferous period as such. So it's been around a long time. <laughs> and uh, it's just fascinating the fact that, I mean, it is composed of, um, you know, what were once, you know, living sea creatures 
have died and become compressed over millions of years to, to form what we stone is now. And you're sort of breathing new life into pretty much um, previously. Exactly, yeah. It, it's just um, you know, it's just a, it's a fascinating material. It's all around us, you know, and uh, it's just it's just, it's just the one I, I prefer to work with. You know, the material I'm you know. When it comes, when it is sculpting, um, I will make clay models, but I, I would not be no, no interest in casting in bronze or anything like that. So I mean, stone is the stone is the material that has attracted me for all my life and continues to do so. You know, just uh, just just something about it I can't <laughs> get away from it. Tommy, where then will you get your stone from? At the moment, I'm not too worried about finding any more, any extra stone. I have, over the years, gathered quite a few pieces. I have ideas, as I said, at any one time, out of a million ideas swimming around in my head, usually settle on one or two <laughs> eventually. But uh, at the moment, I have plenty of stone. But through my work as a stonemason, I'm, I'm, I, I find it easy enough to acquire stone. I suppose, again, what I do is, because the work is small scale, I'm constantly on the, on the lookout for uh, an interesting piece of stone or something that might fit an idea. Even on a, on the average job, there could be a few stones left over, you know, from 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 anything. And uh, if one or two look interesting, I will just take them with me and say that I have an idea for that. May or may not ever come to anything, but at least I have it. So I mean, I just I mean I'm, I would be a stone collector, I suppose. But a lot of the time, too, you find when I did live in County Loud, I, I approached several monumental sculptors or, you know, people who would make headstones. And there's lots of offcuts and man pieces that are, are no longer any use to them or they generally just accumulate in a corner of, of a yard. And uh, they generally told just take them away because they're just going to end up in, in the skip anyway. So I would have a look through them and generally come away with a few pieces that uh, would um, fit something that I have in mind. So you're big, recycling big somebody else's waste? Pretty much, yeah. Or, you know, anything, even say um, a couple of pieces I have done have been like, um, say from offcuts from say windowsills or wall cappings and things like that. So it gives an idea then the size I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Like, just even for instance, it's the small piece down here. If you look at the back of it, yes. you can see there's a, a line running down there, which was uh, the drip line the underneath of an, of an old windowsill. You know, I just left it there because just, just gives a, uh, just reminds you of its history. It's so, a bit of character as well and you're not covering up what to you might be a flaw yeah. and in any case as you said earlier you're keeping the, the best side out. <laughs> exactly. That may be what's it maybe a foot foot and a half. Possibly about that. Uh, so that's lovely piece. That was so that was uh, a windowsill that was sitting in an old house in an old I think uh, that the window that the sill was uh, was sitting in was being boarded up. There was some uh, restoration work going on in the mm -hmm. house and it was being changed inside. So the sill was removed. In the removal of it, it was, uh, it was broken into s several pieces. And that's one piece which I took out of a skip. So <laughs> no waste. I mean, no, you can see that you're doing good, even though what's being dumped by somebody else yeah. is of use to you. It's not going to waste. That's the important thing. You have no shortage of stone. You have access to stone. Are you intentionally sticking to smaller pieces? Because I can only... Yeah. Presume that if you can make a small piece, you can make a big piece. Is it a question of space or transporting stone, or are you happy at the moment I, with doing I'm, smaller pieces? I suppose. I suppose because I was getting small, you know, small pieces of, uh, as you say, of, of you know, say offcuts or discarded stone. The pieces just ended up small, and I kind of kept going like that. I've done, you know, several 
kind of life-size heads or things like that but figurative pieces no possibly no more than possibly a couple of feet high something like that i'm not sure why but small scale seems to attract me <laughs> That's, what you're, that's yeah. what you're happy with. Yeah, so, but that's not to say I wouldn't. I mean, th this block of stone is, has been staring at me for years. A three foot tall? About that, yeah. So it could be a half life size. So, but, um, but, and it's still, it's still looking at me. It's still <laughs> calling out to you, do it something is, with uh, me. So, and will uh, probably eventually, you know, so, but it's there. It has, it has been following me around for a while. And, uh, but that's another but, day's work, as they say. But that's it. But, uh, you know, it will eventually become something. But uh, at the moment, for some reason, I keep, I keep creating small clay models and small pieces then follow. So that's 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 the moment I, I may change i probably will i do have some ideas maybe of doing some irish mythological characters sort of in my head these are bigger pieces bigger but, pieces but i'll get to that at some point so you have a piece of stone tommy you know what you want to do with it and it's sitting up on your bench here what do you do first so i would get an idea as you say and then generally the process then is is, is to make a, is to make a clay model which is basically just going to be a, a, a 3d representation something to uh, to copy it may not end up exactly as the model but it's um, a 3d guide you can look at it from every angle you could decide follow it then as best you can somewhere along the way the stone might decide to go a slightly different direction and that's fine too because you do make minor alterations along the way but I suppose it starts off with the clay model usually when I start that I kind of have a stone in mind but then I will just pick out the most suitable stone in the collection that I have once I'm happy that I have a stone that will work, the next thing then is I simply just take my block of stone and walk around it a few times <laughs> and uh, I will draw the shape that I want. Once I'm happy that it will fit and uh, it looks okay and the positioning is alright, basically then uh, that's where the stone removal starts. And it's always very deceptive because at first you are, I will use a grinder to just cut off big sections. I'll use, you know, a heavy chisel to knock off big sections and then the stone goes flying every direction <laughs> and, you're, and you're left uh, then just that rudimentary form. And you keep going, you keep going like that, you know, just, just very quickly just working away. And then it all slows down. And you, you're probably thinking to yourself as you're doing this, that this is, this is great, I'm making great progress, I'll get this finished much quicker than I thought. But you're just creating the outline just and then yeah. the finer work begins. Yeah. Is yeah. it very important that you have the 3D clay model rather than a photograph, which of course is only 2D? To me it is. Now you could work from a photograph, I suppose, if you had um, you know, a, whole, a whole series of uh, photographs uh, from, from different angles. You know, I can just pick up the clay model, I can put it beside it, I can say, oh no, there's a bit more work that needs to be done here. You can look at the two together from the same angle, make sure, no, that's, that's, that's going the way I want mm -hmm. it, and so on and so forth. But then, as I say, something may, may happen. But as I said, once you get over that initial fast bit, then it just all completely slows down. The real down. hard work. It completely starts. slows down. Lately to the point where near the end, when you're, you're working away, and uh, there's always some point in the middle of it where it looks a complete mess. <laughs> and you think, well, it's neither one thing nor the other. It's not a nice block of stone, it's not a nice finished piece, but you just trust that you, uh, you, you will, you'll get to where you want to go. I suppose it is the opposite to clay modelling, where you, are, you, know, you, you take the clay and you, you form your shape and you add bits, add and remove pieces. Stone, it is a, in a sense, it's a finished piece that's presented to you, but you have to dig around to find it, you know, so you... Uh, it's in there, you it's, have to It's in out. there, you literally yeah. have to find it. So it's, it's um, kind of working in reverse, you know, where you're removing stone, you're removing material to get to the point where you want 
to get to. It is a bit unforgiving, Stone. One don't, you, don't, you don't really get a second chance. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so um, you, you can make small alterations if you make an error. But I suppose what I do like about it is that, it, in, I suppose in this very fast-paced world, it actually forces you to slow right down. And, I mean, there's times, I know it's, it's, it's probably sounds strange, but I might just spend 15 minutes just looking at it. <laughs> and just looking at it and looking at it from every angle and then deciding where I want to go next and how am I going to go about it. So it is very slow and time-consuming. As you get towards uh, a finished piece, I mean, you are literally, at that stage, you are using rasps, files, all sorts of things to... Uh, and you're literally removing stone grain by grain. <laughs> you so know, the finer detail, the yeah, finer work. It gets down so a lot of work goes into the stone itself, but how much time goes into preparing the actual clay model? They're usually faster. Like, I mean, that took me about uh, three to four days. You know. Three or four days yeah, for the clay yeah, model alone? Yeah, just for, yeah. the, for the model, yeah. But, but this will probably run into months, you know. So. And do you find that you have to step away from it oh, once yeah. in a while? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to have total concentration? Because as you say, one false move and the piece could be ruined or it could be saved. Or sometimes, uh, you, as you say, you might have a, a happy accident. <laughs> but there are few and far between. But I mean, as you look around, there, there are pieces in various stages of completion. And so you can work on more than one piece oh, at a time? I, I would probably have about four or five pieces going at any one time. And sometimes you get to a point where you do have to step away and just say, no, leave it. Because when you get to that point where you're a little bit frustrated or you're unhappy or it's just not going as uh, smoothly as you would like, it's the time that you probably will do something stupid. You know? So you nip down to Loch Bunny for a quick swim? <laughs> well, uh, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say swim, but a go down to Loch Bunny. All right, yeah, but then you, you are right on the edge of the burn, which is a brilliant place to go out and clear your head. But sometimes you just step away and you say, no, just go back to one of those other things that you have abandoned and uh, spend a bit of time on it and then come back to it again. And sometimes, you, as I say, you might, um, you could have three pieces on the go and then you might start another one. And then the new one will start just kind of takes over for some reason. It just kind of says, no, uh, I want to be completed. And that's it. And you just do. So that happens too. Other things just are left to languish for a while. And then you eventually get back to everything, you know. Um, do you keep all your clay models because they will eventually dry out and you have quite a few here on the shelves. Yeah. And is that because someone might say, I spotted that piece by you, Tommy. Can you make another one for me? Is that why you keep them or... Is this something sentimental? Probably a bit of both, really, you know. I mean, this, this model here, I, I made that one with the intention of doing it straight away, and it never happened, you know, So, but I still have it, so I will probably get to it at some point. So uh, like the slab of stone, that clay model calling out to you? At some, at some point it will, you know. Uh, it did at one time, and I said, no, okay, I need to do this, and then for some reason it never happened, but the model is still there, so I can get to it mm -hmm. at some point. Is, um, is it all female form you work with? Mostly, yeah. I don't know why. It's figurative that I'm interested in, and I don't know, it's the, it's the female form that probably attracts me the most, so that's the only way I could answer that one, I suppose, really. A lot of detail, and that's <sighs> just in the clay form, so I can imagine what the finished product is like, and I saw that piece on your website. Is it black marble? Uh, it's, 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 it's limestone. What I do is, with limestone, what, you know, when, when the piece is finished and I'm, I'm at the sanding and polishing, 
I would polish it with various different grades of, of, of sandpaper, from the roughest up to the, the smoothest until it gets to the point where it has a, a glassy finish. And then what I do is I just rub in a small bit of linseed oil over the figure and it brings it up that very black finish, which actually highlights then any little fossils or anything that might be in it. And that's what catches the eye. Yeah, I mean the fossils can look lovely sometimes. Um, I can say, oh God, I wish, just wish it wasn't in that position. You yes. know? <laughs> also, but anyway, that's just the way it goes sometimes. I did a piece before in marble and for some strange reason, in the center of the figure, just a, a jet black vein appeared in the white marble and I absolutely hated it and everybody else thought it looked fabulous or it was, it was wonderful or but anyway different things attract different people I suppose but uh, to me it was disappointing to everyone else I thought I think that's fascinating you never really know what you're going to find in stone you know it, it is a natural material that was as you say formed so many millions of years ago you'll always have a, a couple of surprises in, in any piece of stone And this particular piece, Tommy, you were working on, this piece of stone is much bigger than what the finished piece will be. So you're yeah. just chipping away the superfluous pieces. That's it. I mean, the, the outline that I've drawn on it is, is, is bigger than the actual, the, the, the finished piece that I'm looking for. So I am just literally removing all the excess stone and, and working the, towards, the, towards the form that I'm I'm, I'm hoping to get. So there's quite a bit to, to remove yet. And uh, as you can see, it's just coming away in, in small chips as I, as I work my way down. And uh, I notice you don't have radio or headphones on. Are you totally immersed in the job when you're doing it or do you need some sort of... I've tried it before and I've, I've found it a little bit distracting. And also the the sound that you make. Uh, you're listening. You're constantly listening to the to the sound, and um, and sometimes you need to, you need to listen because you need to be aware, I suppose, of, of of the sound that you hear, and that you don't apply too much pressure at a certain time. You know, so, so the ears are very important. Uh, uh, but you have yeah, natural yeah. sounds, the trees and the birds yes, and all that. Yes, Does yes. that help? That's very soothing, I have to say. Yeah. And uh, as I say, the two hens pop in every so often to and say hello. And the cat hello. as well. As the cat. Oh, there's a cat <laughs> hanging about too, yes. So they all wander in and out just to, to see what I'm at. And um, so I have a bit of company that way. But um, So but, there could you know, be a few months in this particular piece yet? There could be. There could be. It depends. Um, as I said, it, it's always very deceiving because uh, you, you think you're making, you're making great progress and then it, it slows down. But you don't, you don't know, I suppose, what, what problems you will, you will face along the way. A, a, a certain section of it may prove to be incredibly tricky and time-consuming and you may spend a lot of time, you know, that, uh, you know on much more time than you would have expected. And so I suppose um, you try to give yourself, I suppose, some, some kind of um, a timeline that you might get it finished, but it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> <laughs>
ultimately, and I know you're still doing some of the stone masonry work yeah. during the week, ultimately mm -hmm. you want to sell your pieces. Are you selling pieces and how can people get access to your pieces? All the pieces, um, first thing to say, I do like I do have a website, it's uh, tommybrennansculpta.ie. There are several pieces you know, on it and they are all for sale. I suppose I would certainly be um, available for commissions and um, I, suppose, I suppose exhibitions and open calls are also an avenue where I would still hope to sell. That's the plan at the minute. Obviously, the, the plan is to um, work at this on a permanent basis and uh, be able to support myself for my work. That was Tommy Brennan, a self-taught sculptor based in Tubber in North Clare. Coming up, we'll travel to Ina to Makoda Hurley's and meet Hurley maker Aidan Cudahy. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. After our chat earlier with stonemason and sculptor Tommy Brennan in Tubber, we're off to meet a man who works with timber. Aidan Cuddehy was born and raised in Ina, County Clare. His father made hurleys all his life as a hobby, and growing up, Aidan was surrounded by hurleys and woodwork. It's no surprise then that Aidan would follow in his father's footsteps, but he has taken hurley making a step further. Today he owns and runs Makoda Hurleys. My dad made hurleys always, so he, he'd have made hurleys locally. So it was, uh, it was always just a hobby and a passion for him. And so I, I grew up all around it and surrounded by it, so it was, it was something I was always able to do. He made the hurleys by hand and he also fixed hurleys and there's even certain sounds and smells to how you make it by hand that would bring me back to my childhood. When, when you're fixing the hurleys, the, the bands have to be taken off the hurleys, you know, and, and the hurleys have to be cleaned down and glued and put into vice and everything. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't idle. <laughs> Were you well paid? Uh, yeah, I was, I was. I was, I was fed and watered, so it was, yeah. Did you uh, play any bit of hurling yourself, and did your dad play a bit of hurling? Oh, my dad played hurling, yeah, yeah. So was, uh, he, he, play, he played hurling, and he play, and he refereed for years. So it was, uh, it was great, sort of, like, the hurling making and GA was, was our life. Like, I remember as a, a young lad, you didn't miss a match. You didn't miss a club match, you didn't miss a county match, you went to everything, like, you know, so it was, and... I was, I'd be umpire, I'd be, side I'd be on the sideline as well as he'd be refereeing, so it was great. It was great to be so involved in it. I, I played hurling myself, but only, only, only club up to like under 21 or that, or you know, a little bit the intermediate and junior B here in Ina, Kilimona, like, but, but, uh, but uh, maybe I'm, I'm better at making the hurley than I was maybe using the hurley. <laughs> but you went to Flannan, which of course, yeah. big hurling, hearty yeah. cup reputation as yeah, well. Did right. you play in school? I played in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in school. There was there was under fifteen and 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 that in Flannan. So was so that yeah that that was great. What did you hope to do when you finished school, or was it always in the back of your mind that you'd make hurleys as well? It was always something that I I had in mind. Now uh, you know, giving my dad a hand with the hurleys, how we'd get the timber would only be a neighbour saying, "Tom, I've an ash tree there. Would it, would it do for?" Uh, a few hurleys like and you'd get maybe uh, six to ten hurleys out of an ash tree so it was always something that I always knew I could do but it was always the thing is how how do you get enough ash for it to be a viable business you know because even though my dad made hurleys all the years it was kind of in a, a handcrafted uh, hobby um, 
you know, he'd he'd love to be rubbing the one hurley all day, you know, like to, to, to perfection, like you know. So I went to college in Tralee. I did health and leisure studies. So it was uh, so I, I worked in the leisure centres and gyms and that after after that. And you figured then, Aidan, that there would be or could be a business or a living in this for you. Did you give up what you were doing with your qualifications and decide to go into this full time? Yeah, it was in the middle of COVID actually, so it was fine time and it was kind of a leap of faith, really. Kind of, I was always wondering, like when I get into my thirties, to kind of start my own business, work for myself, and and it was always there that hurley is something I could do and would it be a viable business. So there's great supports there from the local enterprise office. There's start your own business courses and they give you mentoring, and so there's assistance there for people who want to start your own business. And you know, you do the start your own business course. The guy will tell you very straight whether he thinks it's a viable business or not, and give you good guidance. So I did all that and uh, invested in the ash and invested in uh, machines and, and that. And yeah, so Scott the ash and went from there. How important uh, was that mentoring, that yeah. training and that advice you were getting from? Yeah. It's so important because we'll say for hurley making, it's, it's one thing making the hurley, it's a whole different thing running the business. Uh, completely you you've, you've taxes to do and even how do you price your product and like you could be great at making hurley but then, then uh, trying to get paid you know it's a different story and and i got great advice at the start about making mistakes and and about trying to avoid making big mistakes you'll make mistakes but try not to make big mistakes you know that costs you a lot of money and that is vital really you know like that you get that mentoring because yeah. your father was doing it as a hobby you're yeah, doing hobby. this as a business that's right yeah yeah that's it you, you well, I'm very lucky my wife has her own business, so she's, she was already well ahead of me there. I do kind of uh, rely a lot, you know, give her a lot of the, the, the office duties she, Carl gets, you know, so the, you know, so the, Carl's great now at helping me with everything. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole side of things like that, office work kind of, because you're dealing with companies, you're dealing with schools, you're dealing with everything. It requires sending on quotes, uh, sending on invoices, receipts all that side of things. Did you think that there would be so much in it from the admin side, from the book side of it? Did you realise when you started the business that you would be busy doing that part of it as well? That's in the start your own business course, you're you're, you're kind of, I had my eyes eyes open to that, like, and it's it's kind of like you're, at the time you're kind of mad to go, I, I'm going to make now Hurleys and they're going to this going all going to be great. So yeah, yeah, sure. Look at it. You're kind of told at the start, I suppose. Then you, you kind of find out the hard way. So it was, but it's great. Like the assistance is there. And ongoing mentoring is there. You know, e- even recently, I was I was speaking to one of the staff in Leo, and, and and she was saying that there's there's still mentoring there if you want to avail of it. Like you know, so it's uh, still good to have it because people go into business, yeah. they think they know it all, yeah, and they find out maybe the hard way they don't know it all. Oh, you definitely don't know it all. And you can always learn. And you can always learn from someone. You can always improve. Even myself, like I look back at a couple of years I'm making hurdies, I've tweaked it as you go. And, and No, no, you can always learn something from someone else. Tell me then about the ash trees and Shannon. It was initially a sawmill that we got the ash from. But then more recently, the year before last, I got a call of Kieran Keating uh, of the Clare GA. I, I've been really lucky with that Claire GA in the 1980s planted an ash forest tree in Shannon and he asked me would I be interested in coming down and, 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 and buying some ash from the forestry. Caught it myself and, 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 and paid him for the timber. So it's, so it's just an ash forestry is going to be replanted again so it's all sustainable and, and uh, so I uh, went down, we cut as many roots as we were able at the time. It's very time consuming to do it but, but it was really worth it because the ash 
is fantastic. It's 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 local ash. It's lovely, clean white ash. So we cut the roots and, and brought them home here to Aina. And only up the road from us is Joe Shannon. So he has a mobile sawmill. So he came to the yard here in Aina with his mobile sawmill and cut the ash into planks. Uh, you, you cut it straight away into planks from the root and then it seasons in the plank. So you have to stack the planks in a certain way. You cut the planks an inch thick and then you, you space them out an inch apart to avoid any uh, warping or cracking or you don't want that. So all that ash in Shannon is in the shed, what I have of it, and it's seasoned. It's lovely white ash, lovely grain in it. So really, I, I've been kind of blessed, you know, because the, the ash is kind of hard enough to come by, so to be able to come by that much of it I, locally, great to have Joe Shannon up here cutting into planks, so it's all local business. Supporting local business, then? Yeah, yeah, great, really yeah, because other, other local businesses support me. I support them if I can. It's great, actually, to, to support locals. If you didn't have access to the ash trees in Shannon, and where would you have gone? Would you have had to go out to the county or would you have been able to source ash locally? You can source ash locally, but it would be time consuming. Very often I get a, an offer of, I have an ash tree there in the back garden, would it suit for Hurleys? Very often it wouldn't. Someone might even have 10 ash trees in their backyard and you'd come and it's very particular how they grow, if they'll suit for Hurley or not with the turn on the bottom for the root. So that'd be kind of a slow way about getting the ash, getting the root at a time. So if you weren't to do it that way, there's a sawmill in Tipperary and a sawmill in Kilkenny. There's guys that do that and uh, they have their own sawmill and they'll cut it into planks. So you'd buy the planks. So it's a very convenient way of getting the ash. Uh, it'd be a more expensive way. It wouldn't be, as, you know, it w- wouldn't be time-consuming. But that's the way I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. The expertise on running the business mm-hmm. came from local enterprise office, yeah. the mentors, mm-hmm. and other yeah. people you would have networked with. Yeah. The expertise on choosing the right timber, how to cut the timber, and all that. Some yeah. of that you got from your dad through oh, the yeah. years. But what about the rest of it? It used to be odd for my dad. You know, like how to position the the hurley in the board is very important with the grain and avoiding any knots or any blemishes in the timber or that and choosing the right board for the right type of hurley. You can't just make a goalkeeper hurley out of any board. The weight of the hurley, it depends on what the person is looking for. Like the, you have to try and judge the plank before you cut, it, cut the hurley out of it. If someone's asking for a light hurley or a kind of a medium to heavy hurley or that. No, no, the actual physical making the hurley, yeah, no, I learned it all, all from my dad. He's so passionate about how the hurley is made that every hurley has to be made perfect, no matter how long yeah. it takes to make it. After that, the, the actual shape of the hurley and, and all that, like like the style of hurling has evolved over the years. We've hurleys here in the shed that don't resemble what we have here today, or what we're making today. Like the, the hurleys there up until the 90s were long and kind of a small boss and, and hurling has evolved to a shorter hurley with a bigger boss and that so you have to listen to your customers and what they want and some people might say oh I, I, I liked the handle the top of the handle more round or that and you kind of, you know so you'd you tweak maybe your style as you go and like that you're all the time trying to improve and trying to get better and everything is online lately so there's so many videos and everything of different techniques and different tools and different everything so you're all the time looking to improve we're lucky now we've got good ash which is the main thing and then it's a new matter of making hurley then so coming up we'll be back at makoda hurleys in aina where aidan cuddy will take us through the hurley making process
Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. Aidan Cuddehy was born and raised in Ina, County Clare. His father made hurleys all his life as a hobby and growing up, Aidan was surrounded by hurleys and woodwork. He now runs his own business, Makoda Hurleys, making hurleys by hand at his Ina workshop. One of the most important parts of the hurley making process is the stacking and drying of the ash planks, which takes time. Yeah, at least a year, because if you made it, it would move so much when it's seasoning. So if I cut a hurley out of that plank the day that Joe Shannon planked the roots, that shape of hurley would move and shrink a lot. So yeah, it has to be seasoned in the plank and it's cut an inch thick so that it allows for any shrinkages or movement and it will shrink a bit. But if you have it stacked right, it'll allow the plank to dry evenly so that it won't crack. So if you'd all the planks are stacked up left together, the planks would dry quicker at the end than in the middle and it, it will crack. So that's the way it's stacked up there. So a customer comes up to you and they're looking for a hurley what are they looking for? Yeah, so so that so that customer will say the, the intercounty customer that it's um they'll come to you and a lot of time they'll come to you with a hurley that is their favourite hurley is their lucky hurley they'll come to you with kind of a, their expectations are they want a hurley an exact weight balance uh, springiness to it it has to have a great grain so. You'd, you'd go through your planks and with the particular weight, the planks vary in weight a little. So you'll pick up one plank and you kind of judge it just picking up the planks that, oh, that, that plank is a bit weighty or, oh, that plank is light. So you put them aside over time. And, and so when they come to you and they'll say, I want a light hurley, you'll pick up that plank. And uh, after that, then the, it's only a matter of because they're handmade, I can make any shape of hurley. So you just position down their hurley on the plank and you draw it out and you cut it out that shape and you're making the hurley in one hand but you've got their own hurley in your other and you're picking it up and you're looking at it and, and you're making the same handle, the same everything. So it's um, you're nearly trying to replicate it the best you can. So, so that'd be like the county lads, yeah. You know, and it's it's always a great kind of a compliment when they, when they come and they like your own shape of hurley. I, I have my my own shape and, and it's, it's the shape that I, I, I think is, is a nice shape. Well, I, I don't mind. I, I, I make any shape of hurleys. You know, you, you understand that county player, it's a very particular hurley they're looking for. And will they come up here and take it from you and then swing around with it and yeah. hold it in the hands for a while and get the feel of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hit a ball with it. Um, you know, there's like, you, you don't mind kind of even having made, you know, uh, make two or three of the same shape and they'll go from one to the other and to the other and, and you know they, they pick the one they like or the two they like it's it's, it's kind of sometimes I, I feel like it's like a suit fitting you know like yeah. just, just exactly what they want or or they might say oh actually can you make the boss a bit bigger or or, or change the shape of it there or uh, take a bit more off here you know and and when they're here in the in the yard you know like it's they have the option of you know I, anything like that so it's so it's uh you, you can you can tailor the hurley to exactly what they want and who then aiden are you making hurleys for these days yeah well i've been very fortunate say when i started making hurleys just the local club here i Lamona are great and i sponsored under sixes hurling team they're fantastic like they all have my hurleys down there and and uh, I developed a way of um, doing wood prints so I can put uh, any crests or names onto Hurley. So for, for the underage, it makes the Hurley kind of really special to the underage boy or girl to have their name on it, whatever 
I, <laughs> I can put, I can actually put tractors or whatever, cartoon character or whatever it is, actually onto the hurley to personalize it for them. So they all have it below. So the underage market would be a, a big one for me. For me to make a, a small hurley, I take as, every bit as much pleasure of that as making a county hurler's hurley. So the underage market and uh, ghouls, for the last two years I, I've made hurleys for coming to Munskull, which is, I, I find it be a huge honour, like, you know, so it's a uh, privilege when people order buy hurleys because they'd have an option of four hurley makers and coming to Munskull. So it's, um, and I'd supply the hurleys there, which I'd supply them all with grips and everything. I try to supply as high quality a hurley, even if it's uh, only a 20 inch hurley or 24 inch hurley, as you would a, a 34 inch hurley. So that's coming to one skull and, and a, um, I have some great customers like Donald Hannafin in the Gwale Skull and the Michael Cusick Centre in Cairn is fantastic. The, Tim Madden and, and the team up in Cairn are great and uh, when they have groups up there, they get me up there to do the hurley making workshops. So that's where the hurley making workshop started for me. They wanted hurley making at the Michael Cusick Centre. So we developed a mobile workshop that I bring up to Michael Cusick Centre so I can hand make hurleys on site. And from there, it's kind of developed over the years. So you're making it the traditional way with the spoke shaves and, and uh, planers and sandpaper and, and, do, and doing it that way. So it's... Uh, Are the kids intrigued by that? Because they pick up a hurley. They don't yeah. think about who made it, the hard work yeah. that went into it. Yeah. But when you're doing those workshops above in the Michael Cusick Centre and the kids yeah. and the adults watching you, are they intrigued? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's, it's when when I'm making the hurley, I do notice when they're watching me uh, how intrigued and how fascinated they can be to see the hurley kind of develop in front of their eyes. Because you're kind of just starting with a block of timber, and then you finish with a hurley, and and even the techniques that go into making a hurley. Uh, sometimes you'd even have people approach you afterwards and say, "Oh wow, I I'm a carpenter." But I never saw that technique done before, you know. So there's, there's certain aspects to making the hurley that have been handed down through the years. So it's a, there's one technique in actually sealing the hurley when you're finished with it to polish it with its own filings that my dad learned from an old man years ago making a stick for Bauron. And we kind of, we, we use that for making hurleys as well. So yes, it's a great day when you're doing the workshops. You know, I, I'm lucky now to have done them a lot now up in the Mikey Cusick Centre and I was up in uh, the Cliffs of Moher for Heritage Week last year. And to me, tourists are so fascinated to see, um, you know, so it's, so it's great. It's, it, it's a whole side of things that you wouldn't think of, you know, to see the actually hurley being handcrafted. So it's and of great. course you have to know the history of hurling, yeah. the history of the hurley. Oh, that's right. The tour, the, the tourist isn't shy. Uh, especially up in the cliffs of Moher, they, they'll come up to me and and they'll be asking questions, and they'll never have seen hurling being played at all. And and they'll come up and say, "Oh, what are these things for? Are they are they bats? You know?" And I was like, "Well, they're a bat of a kind. Of, you know, they're a hurley bats. They start calling them. You know, and they're, they're watching them being made, and and that's it. You have to tell them all about the history, the." Gene and how it came about and the evolution of the hurley and the evolution of the game and, and all about the timber and why it's at over other timbers and why does the grain have to be a certain way and so yeah so that's it you're, you're kind of really promoting the game as well while you're at it so it's um so it's great so from the day you take a plank off the rack there to yeah. someone hitting the first ball on the field on a sunday how long yeah. does it take to make a hurley oh i, I could make I, I could make you uh, one now I, I i could take down that plank an hour you'd have a hurley walking out the door an hour i, I mark it out just cut, cut out the hurley 
and you, you plane it down and, and shape it. It wouldn't be the fastest hurley ever made, but it um, but it'd be kind of just it'd be made right and made made how you like it. And so and has yeah. anyone ever come to Aidan and said, "I'm playing a game at three o'clock today. I need a hurley." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have to have an emergency response when it comes to hurley. Sometimes it's uh, you know people have said I need a hurley in twenty minutes before. So it's a uh, yeah, no, it, it's it it has happened. I, I do keep a stock of hurleys, so it's it's no bother. Like you know, you try to keep all sizes, and sometimes you'll get an, a, a school order or a club order, and maybe you won't have all sizes all the time but yeah when someone comes and they need a hurley this second you can give it to them or, or if they want you do want one particular that the shape which isn't too many but yeah you can make it for them on the spot that's no bother yeah you're working on a hurley for someone there yeah. at the moment and are players often yeah. very fussy Aiden? oh extremely fussy yeah yeah like for instance i had a county player come to me in december and he brought me uh, six different shapes of hurleys all different types of ones that he liked so I know the, the biggest work in this would be the, um, the picking out the right plank because after that you just cut it and shape it to the size you want. It's kind of just nothing really that could go wrong too much. It's like if you pick out the right timber that has the right, you can't alter the weight of the timber or you can't alter the flexibility of it. So if you pick out the right piece of timber, the biggest thing in choosing the, to make the hurley for the player.